It's unrelated things. Greetings and welcome to Unrelated Things. This is a podcast where I talk about whatever the heck comes to mind. Things I found online, things I've uh, come across recently, just anything that makes me feel something happy, angry, uh, other or other. Um, you can reach out to me. You can send me a message at unrelatedthings at gmail.com. You can go check out the website unrelatedthings.net to find back episodes and see what else I am working on. So let's get into the stories. This first story is from boingboing.net. This is written by David Peskovitz. Man spent more than a month in jail for heroin that was actually laundry detergent. Last month, Matt Krell, 29, of Martin County, Florida, was sleeping in his van when police came to investigate what they described as, quote, a suspicious van. Martin County Sheriff's Deputy Stephen O'Leary found a plastic bag of white powder, claimed to run a field test on it, and arrested Krull for possession of 92 grams of heroin. Krull went to jail where he sat for over a month. Thing is, the heroin was actually laundry detergent. From the Miami Herald, quote, It's a very surreal when you're sitting in jail with a half a million dollars bond, Krull told WPBF25, and you can't go anywhere knowing that you didn't do wrong. Sheriff William Snyder says O'Leary has been fired after an investigation uncovered that at least 11 people he put in jail for drug charges were found innocent, the TV station reported. Quote, no matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, just based on the law of possibilities, there's always a possibility that one bad apple will slip through, Snyder said. According to WP. TV. The TV station reported that Krull may sue for damages. It's horrid. It's just bad. Indeed, it's horrid and bad. That's like the story I had on my last episode where a woman went to jail for cotton candy that tested positive for meth. Some of those field tests are not accurate. Next up, uh, turning to something a little more serious. Um, this is from Daily Beast. This is written by Dean Obadala. Remember the three Trump supporters who were convicted in 2018 of plotting a terrorist attack to kill Muslims in their home state of Kansas? You're up on most of America if you do. Same for the latest foursome of Trump lovers looking for a MAGA baptism of blood in New York, this time with a plan, not the first, to attack the Muslim community in Islamburg. You see, when Muslims are the suspect in a foiled terrorist plot, that case receives eight times more press coverage than when a non-Muslim is the suspect. As documented by the Institute for Social Policy and Understanding, after reviewing print media coverage. But when Muslims are the target of terrorism by right-wing extremists, it's met with a collective yawn by most of the media. 
In this case, the police department in Greece, New York, did an outstanding job, moving quickly from the first tip to search warrants to arresting Brian Culinary, Vincent Vetromil, and Andrew Kreisel, along with a 16-year-old whose name was withheld. Wednesday, the Daily Beast reported that at least one of the four, Vetromil, was a Trump-loving anti-Muslim bigot and Confederate statue lover who talked openly about murdering Muslims, including children, on social media. Quote, Kids have been shown to be terrorists too and have killed our people. The Koran tells them to kill us, so they are all guilty. For over a month, these four had been planning their attack on Islamburg, a community of primarily African-American Muslims about 120 miles northwest of New York City. Police found that the suspects had constructed three improvised explosive devices comprised of mason jars packed with nails and BBs. They also had access to 23 firearms, all legally purchased. Police Chief Patrick Phelan made no bones about the men's intent. Quote, if they had carried out this plot, which every indication is that they were going to, people would have died, he said. I don't know how many and who, but people would have died. Heartbreakingly for the nearly 200 families living in Islamburg, being the target of hate and even terror plots is not something new. This is a community founded in 1980 by Muslims who left New York City to live quiet lives upstate. As Islamburg's spokesperson, Mohammed Matthew Gardner, explained, the community is comprised, quote, of veterans, doctors, lawyers, teachers, etc. We are true American patriots. They would be living the quiet lives they had dreamed of, if not for right-wing fear-mongering, especially by Fox News. Dating back to at least 2007, Fox News has run story after story, spreading lies about this community as some type of terrorist training camp. One segment featured a representative from the Clarion Project, an organization dubbed an anti-Muslim hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center, and which boasts an advisor, Walid Fares, one of Donald Trump's advisors on the Middle East during the 2016 campaign, to spread these lies, which have been debunked time and time again. As New York State Police Major James Barnes explained in 2017 to the Associated Press, his state troopers have a good relationship with the Islamburg community, even being invited to speak to the youths about law enforcement careers. Barnes explained, quote, These folks that live here are American citizens. They've lived here for over 30 years. They have ties within, outside of this community. And there's not a problem here. But that hasn't stopped Fox News from whipping up wild fears and hatreds and, as Arsalan Bukhari, strategic communications analyst at the National Offices of the Council on American-Islamic Relations, told me, quote, hate speech leads to hate crimes. In 2017, CARE documented the highest number of hate crimes against Muslims ever, far exceeding those seen just after 9-11. I'm not finding any redeeming value in it. And so let's move on to the next story. Next story is from boingboing.net, written by Corey Doctorow. Elizabeth Warren proposes Thomas Piketty-style annual wealth tax. Following recommendations set out in Thomas Piketty's landmark capital in the 21st century, 
Would-be Democratic 2020 presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren has proposed a 2% annual tax on household wealth over $50 million, with an additional 1% annual tax on household wealth over $1 billion, which would bring in $1.9 to $2.75 trillion over the first decade. The tax would pay for an upgrade to the IRS that would allow it to audit the 75,000 households who are subject to it. It is backstopped by a 40% exit tax on the wealth over $50 million of any U.S. citizen who abandons their citizenship to escape it. The tax also includes a revamp of the tax code to close loopholes and expands international reporting regimes to isolate and frustrate tax havens. All right, cool. And that's just yeah. the way it is. And next up is also from Boing Boing. This is from Carla Sinclair. Gamblers won $276,424 for betting that Trump would lie during Oval Office address. I don't know who would take that bet. I guess if the odds were so big that in the rare chance that Trump wouldn't lie, your payout would be enormous, then it might be worthwhile to risk a few dollars. Gambling site Bookmaker took quite a punch after losing $276,424 to people who correctly bet that Trump would make at least 3.5, quote, false statements, a.k.a. lies, during his Oval Office address. In fact, 92% of the people who placed the bet got it right. Bookmaker.eu asked people to wager on the president's truthfulness, offering odds of 145 for more than 3.5 lies and plus 115 for less than 3.5 lies. That means if a person bet $145 that Trump would lie at least four times, they would win $100, according to BuzzFeed. Bookmaker used the Washington Post fact checker to determine which Trump statements were falsehoods. The big question is, why would a gambling site offer such a stupid bet in the first place? Apparently, they were banking on the fact that Trump wouldn't be able to squeeze in enough lies in the short eight-minute time allotment he had. Huge miscalculation. We're talking about Trump, after all. Via BuzzFeed. Lester said the bookmaker that Lester said bookmaker expected Trump to lie, but that it had also factored in the time constraints the president would be under in delivering Tuesday's speech. Quote, we figured the president's strategy going in would be a bit of fear mongering to create pressure on the Democrats to approve the funding of the wall. However, the president was also constrained by an approximate eight minute time limit. Lester said. With all the cable networks agreeing to air the speech, it came down to how many times is the president willing to exaggerate the truth to accomplish his agenda when he knows the world will be scrutinizing his every word. The biggest winners won $25,000, $20,000, $15,000. Like taking candy from a baby. Look at that. <laughs> and last time I talked about, uh, 
I think it was on Unrelated Things, unless it was on my other podcast, unless it was on my Bernie 2020 podcast that I talked about it. But I talked about China and their Black Mirror style um, plans to spy on everybody and give them scores based on social media and a lot of other factors as to whether they were good or bad. Once again, from Boing Boing, this story by Mark Froenfelder. Chinese app offers a map of, quote, deadbeat debtors near you. As part of its social credit system, China deployed an app that lets you see if a, quote, deadbeat debtor is within 500 meter radius of you. The app name translates to, quote, map of deadbeat debtors and can be accessed via WeChat, China's most popular instant messaging platform. The idea is that it will allow people to, quote, whistleblow on debtors capable of paying their debts. The Hebe-based app is one part of this tracking system, but this social credit scoring is already having an impact in China. According to China Daily, more than 6,000 people who failed to pay their taxes on time or misbehaved on public transport were barred from taking planes or trains in and out of China between June 2018 and January 2019. So, you know, this is the, like one of those specialized, customized maps, you know, like Google Maps. You can go in and you can uh, say, hey, where are all the banks? Hey, where are all the gas stations? Where are all the uh, fast food places near me? With this specialized app, you can say, you can look and see, where are all the people who do not pay their debts within my area? Look at that. Look at that. So my Twitter feed, I follow a lot of musicians and artists. Uh, my uh, One of my other podcasts is called Polyrical. It's a podcast of political music. And so I do follow quite a few um, artists who have political music, a number of them from the UK. And from... Uh, Virtually all of them, I mean, at least a half a dozen to a dozen of the people that I follow, um, expressed uh, condolences and sadness that Jeremy Hardy, a, a comedian from the UK, passed away. I had honestly never heard of Jeremy Hardy before. So I um, went and listened to a little bit of his stuff. And here is... A little bit from YouTube right now. Empowering. So the BBC has to do a story about climate change so that it has to be balanced. So on one side they've got an expert, and on the other side someone who knows fuck all, usually Nigel Lawson. <laughs> now for any younger people who've grown up in blissful ignorance of who Nigel Lawson is, here's the moment where I ruin your life, and I'm sorry. He, he's basically a shrunken ex-chancellor. Um, he's Nigella's dad is pretty much all you need to know, but he's a massive climate change denier, and now grand old man of Brexit. 
And of course, Brexit has also been blamed on Jeremy Corbyn. Somehow it's Corbyn's fault, despite him getting out most Labour voters and most Tory voters voting for Brexit. But it's Corbyn's fault because he didn't go on a platform with Cameron. But people would have hated that. They would have hated to say, because that's what people hated in Scotland. I mean, the reason that independence nearly went through is, is Labour shited it and Labour's lost Scotland now by cozying up to the Tories. I, went, I did some gigs up there and met a lot of people. It's beautiful up there. I mean, this is beautiful. But, but, but Shetland and up there, it's amazing. I got a few gigs just to sort of, just to get me up there. It's beautiful. It wasn't a proper tour. It was kind of Tourette. Fuck! Biscuits. Uh, I had to do that. It would have been really awesome. You were not anti-English, we're anti-Tory. And I thought, yeah, if I lived in Scotland, I'd vote for independence. But then if I lived in America, I'd weigh 40 stone and carry an assault rifle. So it's not, it's not an irrelevant observation, and I apologise. But my point is that um, people would have hated to see Cameron and, 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 and with, with, with Corbyn. Because, it, it, you know, people thought, oh, look, the establishment is united. There's no difference between Labour and Tories. And I, mean, I think it's really good that, that, that Corbyn's given Diane Abbott lots to do to keep her away from Michael Portillo. <laughs> she was always on that sofa with him. She, she's like a shower curtain. She showers. Diane is so in love with Michael Portillo and so out of luck for so many reasons. <laughs> so there was a little snippet there, a little piece of uh, uh, some stand-up by a Jeremy Hardy, um, who just recently passed away last episode i talked about a cow that escaped in alaska from a rodeo this piece is from nj.com nj as in new jersey uh where i am from this story happened here in new jersey um a cow on the way to a slaughterhouse escaped from a truck this is written by Erin Patenko. Just a few short days after her daring run down Route 80, recently rescued Brianna the cow gave birth to a female calf Saturday afternoon. Brianna fell eight feet out of the second level of a truck headed to a Patterson slaughterhouse around 2.45 a.m. on Thursday night. She wandered around the highway until Skylands Animal Sanctuary and Rescue came to corral her. The slaughterhouse decided to let Skylands keep her, so she will join another 70 cows in the sanctuary. Mike Stura, the founder of the sanctuary, was worried about how Brianna's fall would affect her pregnancy, but her newly born female calf, christened Winter, is perfectly healthy and Brianna is a natural at motherhood, Stura said. The calf is beautiful, Stura said, and she'll never be without her mother. Stura has seen plenty of crazy cow escapades during his four years at Skylands and four years previous working for other rescue organizations. He took in Freddy the cow after Freddy made headlines for escaping a Queens slaughterhouse and wandering the streets of New York in 2016. But Brianna's story seems to have inspired people in New Jersey and abroad. Stura said Skylands, which runs off donations, got a gift from someone in Reykjavik, Iceland, who heard about Brianna's story. If you've never met a cow, they're unbelievable, Stura said. They have really big, 
personalities. Mark my words. And next piece is from dailydot.com. This is written by Ellen Ionas, I-O-A-N-E-S. Facebook won't allow this Belgian politician to use his own name. Facebook's content guidelines are providing to be a giant pain in the ass for one Belgian politician. Luke Anus, 26, is running for local office in Lobs, which is in the Hainaut province of Belgium. The socialist Anus has been barred from campaigning under his real name on Facebook, whose moderators find his last name, quote, offensive and inappropriate. Facebook just does not accept my name, said Anus, who's been forced to run under the name Luke Anu. He seems to be taking it in stride, though. A visit to the Facebook page of Luke Anu shows links to news stories that have been written about his plight. I can deal with it, he told The Guardian, but I can understand that people who are weaker have a hard time with bullying. As a socialist, Anus is running to improve, quote, the living environment, safety, the future of youth, cleanliness, and the environment, teaching and improving services to the population, according to his Facebook page. Anus is one of 50 in Belgium with that last name. All are registered in his home region of Wallonia. Anus is not the only politician to make waves with a hilarious last name. He's not even the only Belgian socialist to do so. In 2012, the party had a candidate named Jean-Claude Prick. Of course, we have our own politicians with ridiculous names. Former Nashville Mayor Bill Boner, for example. And don't forget Anthony Weiner, whose name proved very upsettingly. I guess upsettingly to the people involved, to be way too on the nose. Of course, we also had Dick Army. And in my former home state in New Hampshire, we had a representative, Dick Sweat. No lie. It was spelled S-W-E-T-T, but I don't really understand why. If your last name is S-W-E-T-T, that you prefer to go by the first name Dick instead of Richard. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. Sometimes stuff happens. But it's this kind of stuff that drives me freaking crazy. And here's another story from NJ.com. This one written by Matt Gray. A video posted on social media of a man on a bicycle stopped by police in a Jersey Shore town for not having a bell on his bike is drawing criticism from bystanders and online commenters. Quote, where do you get locked up because you don't got a bell on your bike? One of the men watching the arrest says on the video. Police, however, say the Facebook video doesn't tell the whole story. The incident happened in Seaside Heights on the evening of September 5. Officers saw 32-year-old Raymond A. Wilson of Bayville on his bike and, quote, 
observed suspicious activity. He added that, uh, according to Seaside Heights Detective Steve Corman, he added that the officers saw him going to different residences. Wilson obstructed the officers' efforts to speak with him, he said. He basically told them he didn't have to stop and left, the detective said. The lack of a bell was the probable cause officers used to try and stop Wilson, Corman said. Quote, he was acting suspiciously and then the officers observed his bike didn't have a bell, so they wanted to stop him. So this is foolish, ridiculous, absurd, insane. It is inane and terrible. It's horrid. It's just bad. It is uh, all of those things, but not surprising. Um, The police will uh, find any small reason to stop someone to interrogate them and to thereby sometimes instigate uh, a further quote-unquote crime when the actual um, authority, the, the, the probable cause of stopping and questioning those people is, is super thin. It's, it's why and how uh, black people get pulled over driving a, a heck of a lot more than white people do um, for things like changing lanes without signaling or for a light out on their vehicle. Um, and then from there, things, things can escalate. Uh, I think that um, too many of our officers are not trained well to de-escalate and to to keep uh, communications on a a calm and uh, unprovoking unprovoking manner, um, and uh, things do do often escalate as this did. Uh, at some point during the encounter, the video shows Wilson asking why he was being arrested, and an officer told him it was for obstruction. Wilson, however, did not go quietly when police, police tried to take him into custody. You assaulted me by grabbing me, Wilson declares. Don't grab me. He flails his arms as two officers try to cuff him, and then he looks at the camera. You see this, right? They're arresting me because I ain't got a bell on my bike. A bystander says, quote, they locked him up because he's black. But another man watching the arrest says, no, they locked him up because he's known in Seaside. Under state statute, a bicycle must be equipped with a bell or other audible device that can be heard at least 100 feet away, but not a siren or a whistle. I had no idea. I live in New Jersey. I have a bicycle. It does not have a bell. I don't ride out a lot in public. I'm not living in an area where riding my bike is particularly easy with the types of roads that are around where I live. Um, But uh, I will be riding my bicycle more in the future. And I will bet you any amount that I will not ever be stopped by the police while riding my bike because it does not have a bell. 
And the story continues. Once lawfully stopped, if the person flees from police, that is an act of obstructing the administration law, legal experts say. If the person also resists arrest, then that is a separate charge. Corman said bicycle citations like this are common in shore communities since biking is a popular way to get around. It's a resort town and it's preferred that there is some kind of audible device on bicycles in town, he said. The fine for that violation is $54. Figures on how often the citations are issued in Seaside Heights were not available. Wilson was charged with obstruction and resisting arrest and cited for not having a bell on his bicycle. He was released pending a future court date on the charges. And from a bell on your bike to a bicycle race. I'm going to move on now. This is from Oddity Central. This is written by Stephanie Lai. And this is actually from last summer. This month, Kyle Messier, a 31-year-old bike mechanic, won the Big Red Gravel Run, a 100-kilometer bike race that takes place in Harrington, Quebec. While this is an impressive achievement on its own, what makes Kyle's win truly exceptional is that he had already pedaled more than 650 kilometers to the race site. And a few hours after winning, he got back on his bike and pedaled back home to Waterloo. Messier's journey from Waterloo to Harrington took him 3.5 days to complete. After winning first place in the rural cycling race, he celebrated with some pizza, slept for a few hours in his tent, and then got started on the 3.5-day journey back home. And it gets even more remarkable still. Kyle was not only completely new to bicycle racing, but he also managed to win the 100-kilometer Big Red Gravel Run while suffering from an abscessed tooth. So what is the secret behind Kyle's extraordinary success? Well, he apparently used a technique known as active meditation to help him secure this impressive win. This form of meditation can be done while performing a repetitive physical action, which makes it perfect for cycling. When done correctly, the mind will focus only on performing that physical action and nothing else. All other thoughts will disappear and you will feel as though you are, quote, lost in time. Kyle has also trained himself to mentally break up the journey into smaller milestones. When he wasn't focused on meditating, he tried to think only of the things he was looking forward to rather than the negatives. Throughout the race, he didn't think about the distance or about how much his legs hurt. He just thought about the pizza he was getting at the finish line. Quote, I was just thinking about getting back to another pizza. It becomes a mind over matter thing versus just turning the pedals, he told the record. Otherwise, if you're thinking, I've got 100 kilometers to go, it makes things harder in your head. It'll eat your soul. Despite his impressive achievement, Kyle remains humble and perhaps even nonchalant. He claims not to know how long the race took him to complete, as he didn't even bother checking his finish time. Instead, he simply stayed at the finish line to cheer on other riders. Quote, I was definitely happy. It couldn't have gone any better, he said. It was like, okay, cool. I did what I came here to do.
Very well said. And that'll wrap up this episode of Unrelated Things. Thank you for listening. If you want to reach out to me, you can send me an email at unrelatedthings at gmail.com. And you can go online to unrelatedthings.net to see more. It's Unrelated Things.